I want us to start off with something a little different, all right? I want us to, everybody, close your eyes, and you're going to put, okay, don't close your eyes yet. I said that backwards. Okay, so what we're going to do is you're going to close your eyes in a second. I want you to put your palms up when you breathe out. On, you can put them on your knees, or you can hold them up. It doesn't really matter, whichever one you want to do. And I want you to breathe in when they're up. And then we're going to breathe, turn them over and breathe out. All right, I'm going to tell us when to breathe. We're going to slow our breathing down. We're going to try to have a little, a little rest here this morning. All right, so everybody close your eyes. Palms up. We're going to breathe in. And breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. One more time. Breathe in. And breathe out. Everybody feel a little bit more at peace? It's a little bit of peace there when we just stop and we just breathe for a second. You guys can open your eyes, but we, I wanted to take an opportunity today for us to just slow down. We go, go, go so frequently. And last week we talked about the gift of hope. We talked about how when Christ came the first time, he brought us these gifts. And these gifts weren't just gifts for the sake of gifts, but they were to help us until his second coming, until the second advent, looking forward to that. And last week we talked about hope and putting our hope in things that we can count on, that we knew if we put our hope in things of God, that our hope would not put us to shame. This week we're talking about peace. So I wanted to start with that little exercise to help us just mentally, physically be at peace as we started this morning. That we could just experience a little, a little bit of temporary peace for the next 30 or 40 minutes. Last week I finished early, so it's like rollover minutes, so I get to use extra minutes this week. I think that's how it works. But I just wanted us to be able to experience some peace. Because I think that's really important. This is one of the gifts that Christ brought us in his first advent. The dictionary has several definitions of the word peace. It's actually really interesting to me how many different ways this word can be used. One of them is the time that we might think of in the absence of war. There is peace. There is peace among the nations. Another is freedom from anxious or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Another is harmony in personal relations. And then it can also be used to say goodbye. You can say, peace. Or you can use it as a verb. Be like, oh, I peaced out. You know, like this word peace can be used so many different ways. But today I want to focus in on two of those definitions. And I'm going to call them two different things. It's, it's personal peace, which is that definition that is freedom from anxious, oppressive thoughts or emotions. The second definition is, is that relational peace or harmony in personal relations. So we're going to talk about personal peace that you can experience in your own body. And we're going to talk about relational peace that you experience with your relationships with others. So, so personal peace. We are all so privileged. Every one of us in this room, I talked about it a couple weeks ago in, when we talked about Thanksgiving, that we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, This Thanksgiving, we went and visited Maddie's family, and I was talking to Maddie's aunt. And her son-in-law has a crazy story. He is from Burma, 
and he is a refugee from Burma who fled to Thailand when he was younger. And his family was so large that his dad, in order to get them to flee, he had to take them two at a time. His brothers and sisters, there were about eight, he had something like eight siblings. His dad had to take them two at a time from Burma to Thailand. And this was a 10-day journey. 10 days there, 10 days back. Get two more. 10 days there, 10 days back. And the reason he took them in such small groups is because they had to be quiet. Because while they were fleeing, they had to avoid, avoid the military, the militia. They had to avoid pirates that are in the jungle. And they had to avoid tigers because they're sneaking through the jungle. This was his life. This is their life, that they fled, that he spent 10 days there, 10 days back, 10 days there, 10 days back to get. And so Mong was one of those kids. And Mong, he doesn't have a last name. Because of his situation, he's a man without a country. He doesn't even know his birthday, doesn't know how old he is. They, they kind of guess, doesn't know his birthday. This is the life that, that he knows. This is the life that he lived. And what's funny is that I found this out on my half birthday. I don't know if you guys know. Do you guys know? Does anybody else know what a half birthday is? Me, me Tigger, and then uh, my family. They're the ones who invented it, I guess. Um, so we, we don't really celebrate half birthdays, but it's the six months after your birthday, you have a half birthday. So since my birthday is May 27th, my half birthday is November 27th. So anyway, I'm finding this out, and we had just joked about it being my half birthday. And then I'm hearing about this guy who doesn't even know when his birthday is. I was like, man, how privileged am I that we joke about celebrating six months after my birthday. And we've never done gifts. I need to preface that. We've never done like gifts for our half birthday or anything. It's just kind of a joke. But it's crazy when we realize our privilege. I've never felt like my life was in danger other than when my sister was learning how to drive. I've never felt like my life was in danger. I truly mean I've never feared for my life. I think that's probably true for most of us in this room. You might have had a scary moment or two where you were like, that roller coaster was crazy. But like, have you ever fled through the jungle trying to avoid the military and pirates and jungles? Have you ever feared for your life like that? We're so privileged. We're so privileged. And yet one of the biggest weapons that the enemy uses for us in our privilege is worry. How crazy is that? None of us in this room have ever fled through the jungle from tigers and military and pirates. But we worry. Online, yes, online. Yeah. Oh, you said oh my, oh my. Yes, military and tiger, yeah, oh my. I'm with you now. Um, we've not lived that life, but we worry. We worry and it's a big deal. We worry and it's a medical condition. We, we have other health issues because of our worry. So I'm not downplaying our worry. I just want to point it out. That this is a massive weapon that the enemy uses and that our worry is really just the absence of peace. But our Savior, he came and he brought us peace. So so what does that look like in our lives? When we get to Christians, we we quote Isaiah 9-6 and we call Jesus the Prince of Peace. 
But does he really rule over your life in peace? Does the Prince of Peace snuff out your worry and negative thoughts, or do you fan the flame by running through possible scenarios and regret? Do we allow him to sit on the throne as our Prince of Peace? Or do we let worry sit in that chair? Jesus says in John, these are verses from John 14 and John 16. John 14, 25 through 27, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all, the, all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you, may have, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus left us the helper, the Holy Spirit, but this is not an angel that sits on our shoulder. This is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside you. He has left that peace, that Holy Spirit, that helper with you. He dwells inside you. And we have that peace, but is that where we look for our peace? Or do we look to other things for our peace? We often look to ourselves, things that we have in our control, our, our savings account or our, our rainy day fund. Is that where you find your peace? Is it in the cash flow or is it in the flow of the living water? Where do we find our peace? In this world, you have trouble, trials, difficulties, loss, bad days, hurts, broken hearts, broken cars, broken relationships. But take heart, he has overcome. And I think what's so cool about this verse is it, it doesn't say, take heart, I have overcome those troubles, does it? It says, take heart, I have overcome the world. He didn't just overcome your trials. He didn't just overcome the hurt. He overcame the source of the hurt. How amazing is that? Is that what we look at? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So any kind of trouble, any kind of tribulation, any kind of trial you have had, he didn't just overcome that. He overcame the source of that. Amen? Amen? That's where we find our peace. The God of the universe, whose spirit dwells inside us, has overcome the world. And I want to take a second. I want you to really think about this question. It's where do you look for peace? Ask yourself, where do you look for peace? Is it in your comfort? your ability to control, your desire to be needed, financial security, something else? Where do you seek refuge in those trials and tribulations? I want you to honestly think about that for just a second. What is that thing that you go to? And I can tell you that whatever that thing is, it will fail you. If your answer was not the Lord... If your answer to that question isn't, I go to scripture and I go to prayer, it's going to fail you. 
Because whatever that thing is, it did not overcome the world. It did not overcome the world. When Jesus came, he brought peace. Philippians tells us that he gives peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Do you want that peace that Jesus had that surpasses understanding? Is that the peace that we turn to? Is that the peace that we look for? You have it. You have the gift. It was already given to you. You have that peace. You have the helper. I had, I put this into practice this week. I think that uh, that's one of the dangers of being a pastor is you have to be ready um, for, to deal with whatever you're about to preach on, right? So it's like I prepare the message and then it's like, oh, for sure you're going to have to deal with this during the week that you prepare this. So this weekend, I just had, I had a lot of, I was having a lot of um, dark, hurtful thoughts. Um, I won't get into a lot of it, but just, just not good place that I was in. And, and don't worry about me or anything. I'm, I'm fine. It was, just, it was just a rough day. And it wasn't yesterday. It was a couple days before. It wasn't last night after the game. It was, it was unattached to that. This is earlier in the week, but I had already started working on this message. And I found myself, I don't know if you guys do this, but I just kind of was stewing in it, you know? And you just kind of go, I'm just, I'm, I'm just in not a good place. You kind of let it be a cloud that hangs over your head, that, that whatever it is. And, and the Lord kind of poked me and was like, hey, what are you preaching on Sunday? Hey, what is that? And I'll tell you guys, like, it was still hard. It's still hard. I'm not trying to stand up here and tell you, oh, it's really easy. All you have to do is be like, oh, I have the peace of the Lord. Now I'm fine. Sometimes it's difficult. It takes a lot of speaking over yourself and speaking and saying, this thing that's on my mind, this thing that's weighing heavy, these emotions that I'm having that are hard, that's, he has overcome the world. He has overcome those trials. He's overcome all of that because he overcame the source. His peace he has left with me. And I had to speak these things over myself. And it wasn't just a, oh, okay, now I'm better. But it was a gradual feeling to where I finally got to a point that night where I was like, okay, I'm all right. And I knew I had the peace of the Lord. But it's still a journey. I don't want to stand up here and, again, make you think that this is a quick fix. This is an easy thing that all you have to do is say, hey, I need peace, and you're done. It's, it takes some work. It takes some effort. you got to choose to live in that peace and not seek peace in something else. We have to understand and seek that peace that is from Him. And then we shouldn't just strive for our own personal peace. This is, the, this is the hard part of the message today. Is we need to strive for relational peace. I truly think this is the harder of the two, of having personal peace and having relational peace. People deal with conflict in different ways. I've seen people that if you say something, if you do something to them that hurts them, you're, you're dead to them. They're like, I'm not talking to that person again unless I absolutely have to. I'm just not dealing with them. And then other people, they, they might have the hurt, but they don't talk to you about it. They talk to everyone around you about it. And you might never know because they act fine to your face. But in reality, they're upset with you. And you never know until you hear from somebody else. There's other people that when they get hurt, they, they put up walls, they get defensive, and they start throwing things over the wall to try to hurt you back. 
Then there's other people who they seek out conflict. They just always want there to be some kind of issue, some kind of drama. And these people, they turn mountains, molehills into mountains, and they make these little things, these big issues. They're almost looking for a reason to sit in the hurt. People handle conflict in a lot of different ways. And none of what I just mentioned is how Scripture says to deal with it. None of those issues are, you're going to find in here. Those are all ways that our flesh, we just deal with it. It's not seeking peace according to Scripture. So what does Scripture say? Romans 12, 17 through 18, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's a tougher sentence than it sounds like. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I did research on that word all that's used there. And that word all, it comes from the Greek word that means all. It's the same word. It means all. It means all, everyone. It's used other places in Scripture where you would say, yeah, that means all. That means everyone. So I'm going to ask you guys about some groups. And if we're supposed to live peaceably with them, I want you to say yes. Can we just practice that once? Thank you. We're called to live peaceably with who? With Republicans? With Democrats? With Georgia fans? With LSU fans? (laughs) With your coworkers? With your boss? With people who are straight? With people who are gay? With people who are pro-choice? With people of a different color? With people of a different religion? All. Live as far as it depends on you at peace with all. Everyone. We shouldn't seek out arguments or post things on Facebook in order to make somebody angry or rub someone the wrong way because we represent the Prince of Peace. We represent what it looks like to live a life of peace. So if you say something that pushes people away, how can they be brought near to the Lord? How can you draw people to him if you're pushing them away intentionally by by rubbing them the wrong way? I, I bet no one in this room came to the Lord and found salvation because someone rubbed them the wrong way. I doubt that any of you in this room were like, that Christian was really rude to me, so I found Jesus. That's not how it works. I would bet that every person in this room came to know the Lord because someone loved you. Someone cared about you in your filth, in your sin, even though you were headed straight toward hell. Someone sought to live at peace with you. They cared. They loved you. They didn't rub you the wrong way. They didn't push you away because you thought differently than them, because you believed differently than them. They cared about you. They lived at peace with you. They were gentle. 
posting someone that irritates someone of the other political party is not caring for that person. And treating people poorly because of what they think, believe, or live is not what Jesus did. Work to live at peace with all. Again, these are not just the words of a guy standing on the stage. This is scripture. Live peaceably with all. And then scripture even has a higher standard for how we handle conflict with each other. For peace that we should seek with each other. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, it says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. This means you can't say, well, if they have a problem with it, me, they need to come deal with it. Should they? Yes. But is that their responsibility, or what does this passage say? If you remember that someone has something against you, you go fix it. Echoes that as far as it depends on you. You go fix it. It is your job to seek reconciliation. We don't sweep things under the rug. If you have something against someone else, you have two options in my opinion. You have two options. To truly forgive the person who has offended you and move on. You get to a place where you just forgive them and you move on. Second option is you fix it. If you can't forgive them and move on, you go and you have hard conversations. You find reconciliation. You fix the problem. Because otherwise you can't live at peace with that person. You have to have hard conversations and be reconciled to each other. And I think this is amazing. This is Jesus speaking when he says this verse. And he tells you to put worship on hold. That's a huge issue that Jesus says. He says, this is so big. If you are about to enter into worship and remember someone else is upset with you, put that on hold and go fix it. That says a lot about how important peace is within the body of Christ. It's a big deal. Scripture also gives us a couple of practical ways that we can deal with conflict. There's one passage in particular that talks about how we as a church body handle conflict with each other. I want to talk first about the one that I think is the most foundational, which is from James. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You and your anger, reacting and responding quickly to what people say, is not going to produce the righteousness of God. The place that I find that I do this the most that I put this verse into practice the most, I should say, is in my relationship with Maddie. I don't know if you guys do this with your spouse, but sometimes if we're in a disagreement, there are long pauses. Long pauses. Because everything that I'm thinking of is things that should not come out of my mouth. That my first response, my quick to speak, is not going to produce the righteousness of God. And I think this is important that we do in all of our relationships. That if someone says something, if someone has hurt you, that you are not quick to speak, but you are slow to speak. That you seek out 
Okay, let me get through all of the stuff I shouldn't say so that I can get to the things that I should. How can I let wisdom speak to me? Slow to speak. This is foundational for dealing with conflict. And then, like I said, the the scripture that tells us specifically how to deal with conflict in the church is from Matthew 18. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the first step. And how many times do we drop the ball on this one? How many times could an issue have just been fixed if we started here? If someone does something that upsets you, if they offend you, if they sin against you, go talk to them first. Go talk to that person. And if, if it's fixed, you're fine. You've gained your brother. You have reconciliation. But if for some reason they don't apologize or take ownership of their actions, the issue's not resolved, you go to the second step. Verse 16, it says, But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this is step two. Take a few wise people with you. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't just take people who agree with you. Take people who are wise. Go talk to that person. Two or three people. Just having a conversation. Saying, look, this is where the issue is. And I'll point out that this doesn't say Just go talk to two or three other people and tell them about what they did. No. You bring them to the party who offended you and you deal with it together. The the problem, the solution is to bring as few people into the conflict as possible to get it resolved. So you start off with one. If one doesn't work, you bring two or three. And if that doesn't work, then we move to the last step. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 18, it says, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three on earth, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And this is the last step, and this is, this is hard. I've heard about it happening in churches before. I've never seen it, but where someone is truly just indignant that they did not do anything wrong, that they are in the right, even though everyone is saying, we really think you need to, to own this. And that person is removed from the body. This is the last resort because they should, are showing signs that they are not a part of the body. But again, nowhere in this process is talk to other people about the issue you have and see if venting fixes it. Nowhere in this is just stuff it down and maybe the issue will just go away. That's nowhere in how to deal with this conflict. We are called to strive for, work for peace and unity within the body. Did you catch that? Within the body. So aren't relational peace and personal peace the same? Personal peace is within your body and relational peace is within the body of Christ. Jesus came and he left us with peace. We should have that for ourselves and with others. Peace should be evident throughout our lives. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We look at this passage, and we've talked about this passage before. This is one of my favorite verses, chapters, paragraphs in Scripture. And the the purpose of us seeking this peace that surpasses understanding is for the first part of that verse. The first part of that verse is we should have peace so that we can rejoice in the Lord always. Then he repeats himself again. I will say rejoice. We can rejoice because we have peace. And then it says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Again, we should be able to tell others, I have peace because he came. I have peace because Christmas and that he's coming back. That's why I have peace, that he gave me peace. So we can rejoice and we can make our reasonableness known to everyone. Living at peace is a key part of the life of a believer. In a world that is driven by chaos and division, we should be showing people what personal and relational peace looks like. Jesus brought us an incredible gift of peace and it should rule our hearts and minds. Not worrying, not beating ourselves up, but resting in the work that the Lord has done, knowing that he's got it. We should be people who aren't just at peace internally, but make a point to live at peace with everyone, not pushing people away because of what they believe. But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, because it is our job to draw people into Jesus. And we can't do that if, we don't, if they don't know we care about them. 